All right, well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Um, we are in our last week of our series on uh, Christ and our home. Uh, remember that we started this series out as to asking our, our, the question of what is our foundation? And then we've walked into different rooms in the house. Um, if you've been with us, we've walked in the kitchen, we've been in the family room, um, we've been in the bedroom. Last week we were in the office um, as, as asking ourselves the question, what are we doing when, who are we when no one's looking? Who are we as a person when no one's looking in our homes? A very powerful things for the good and for the bad can happen when we are alone in the house. And we just talked about the power of spending time with God and that being the, uh, the, an engine for our homes. And so primarily, we have looked at the house as, um, as a way to help our particular families and, and ourselves, as a way of kind of looking inward. Um, but this morning, as we, as we finish out this series, I want us to walk into the dining room, okay? I want us to look at our dining rooms, and I want us to kind of change directions, if you will. Um, because uh, I want us to ask... Um, ourselves, what happens in our dining rooms? Do we even use our dining rooms? <laughs> okay, um, a lot of us, a lot of us eat in the in the in the uh, family room now. Um, uh, and so, what 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 does that look like for um, for our homes? Um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter thirteen, and um, I want us to look at. Um, a, a real push here in Hebrews 13 for uh, the Christian church to love others. It says this, Keep on loving each another as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and, the all, and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I want to focus on uh, the first couple verses there um, and then talk about the context. But I want to ask you the question. Um, it says, to Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing. When's the last time you had someone over to eat? When's the last time you had someone over for dinner? Just when's the last time someone who you did not know very well was actually sitting at your table? Because when you think about what it means to be a Christian, we have been so informed in America by the Enlightenment, right? The idea, the rise of um, reason, using the scientific method, using all of this, the ascent of the intellect, right? So that what? Essentially, so we can serve ourselves. 
how can we think about Christianity in this way? Because I think too many times I've come into a, a service wanting the preacher to make me feel different. In other words, it's kind of therapy. It's therapeutic. I have an issue. I want the pastor to speak to it at some level, and I want to, I want to change how I feel. And if I leave this place with a change, then um, bingo. This will be, be my place. And as long as that consistently happens, I, um, I feel like that's what God wants for me. But when you look at some of these practical steps that um, the Scriptures is kind of around the whole idea of entertaining strangers. I mean, when you think about remembering those in prison as if you were a fellow prisoner, when you think about the idea of, look, you are to look at money um, from, from a way that you, you would be content that you could give your money away because Christians were ridiculously generous in the first century. That, you know, you've, you find the, the poor person and you give them money. You, pot, you, you find the hurting person physically hurting and you give them uh, healing. You give them help, right? You find the orphan and, and you house them. You know, in a political from a political standpoint, that sounds, that sounds very left, right? And then what does it say? It says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Why? Because the way God established it, and this is where we believe that the Bible is our starting point for knowledge and understanding the house or the family, here's the way the family should work. You should keep the marriage bed pure. You should put boundaries around that. And then you should procreate. Because here's what, here's what God wants. He wants the family, a man and a woman, to be the environment through which a, a young child is raised. That's, that's the design. That's what the Bible says. So it can be very conservative, right? And at some level, pretty progressive. It, it transcends, right, all these different boundaries. But one of the key ideas here in our homes is... Do we forget to entertain the foreigner, right? That's what it means. Do you entertain those that you do not know? Because I believe our dinner tables can be so powerful. And how do you view your home, particularly your dining room? Is your home, your castle, your, just your refuge? Is it a cocoon for you? I come and it is safe. Why? Why would you have that mindset? Well, I know in, in my life it would be like, well, do I want that kid over in my house? <laughs> you, what kind of language is that kid using? I don't know who his dad is. I don't know who, who's, who's, uh, who, who his mom is. I don't know the way in which they're raised. I don't know the experiences they have. They could come in and you know what they could do? They could affect my kids. And if I invite them over and they have some crazy philosophy on life, you know what they can do? They could affect me. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, no, 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 please love each other as brothers, but you can't forget to entertain strangers. You can't do that. It's antithetical to be a Christian and not have people over to your, in your house uh, sitting with you at your dining room table. Because that's the way the church grew. It's people would see 
those that seemed to have not have too many friends. They would see somebody that didn't look like the crowd and that, that you know, kind of seemed ostracized or there were wallflowers, and they would say, hey, why don't you come over? Why don't you come over? Think about what it means uh, for us to have somebody over. In the first century, people did not live for five years in Tampa, ten years in Charlotte, five years in Orlando. I mean, people were not transient like they are now. So in the first century, here's what would happen. Um, you would live in a, in a certain village, and you probably didn't know people in other villages. So if you had to travel, there weren't hotels for you to stay at, um, you had to what? You had to hope you found somebody in that town that was willing, what? To open their house to you. And you know what the church, what, what many people saw? Was that the church... The Christians were some of the most willing to open up their doors to the stranger. And this became a way in which those that didn't know Christ at all came to know him. I want to show you something here when it comes to the word um, to to entertain or to, to show hospitality. If you take that word from the Greek, it's formed, it's of two words, and some of you know this already. The first part of the word is xenos, xenophobia, fear of strangers. It's stranger. The second part of that word is philos. It's brotherly love from, you know, Philadelphia. Yeah, which is an oxymoron. There's no brotherly love that goes on in that city at all. They boo Santa Claus, right? Um, Xenos, philos. That's what the word is. That's where the verb, that's the Greek verb. It's the brotherly love of strangers. How can you get brotherly love for those that don't, you don't know? For those that don't make what you make? For those that have edgier language? For those that smell different than you? Right? From those that have a different candidate that they vote for? For those that, hey, uh, watch different television shows? Have really, really conservative um, values, man. I feel like we're going to be seen as some wackos or vice versa. Um, you're going to be seen as some kind of, you know, very hyper conservative. And those are the things that goes through our mind and we think, no, well, I'm not going to have them over. I, wouldn't, I mean, no way. I mean, it doesn't even cross our minds anymore. And in the first century, what was happening was um, they were having people over to their houses all the time. People were opening up their homes and saying, hey, come. And normally when you stayed at somebody's house in the first century, it wasn't just for a night. It was normally a couple nights. And you would feed them and you would speak with them and and talk with them. Because as hyper-individual as we can become in America, because you want to get what you want to get out of this sermon, you want to feel a certain way after this sermon, you want to get something touched inside of you, the word hospitality, it's rooted in what? It's, ro- it's rooted in a community-mindedness. That's why people, that's why they talk about money. The Christians gave their money away. They were thinking about their brother who didn't have things. They made money, not just for themselves, so they could get a massive 401k and just fill that up and have the security and then, you know, just sail away once they're retired They would look for opportunities to give their money away. And it said that they shared with one another all the time. 
So keep yourselves away from the love of money, West Town, and be content with what you have. Because God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. His presence will fill you up. That's the thing that will satisfy you. Keep that marriage bed solid. You're thinking about others. You're thinking about the kid. You're thinking about the environment that the kid's going to be raised in more than you're thinking about you getting your needs met here. It's this community-mindedness rather than what? What is the church going to do for me? Jesus Why should I follow you? No, I can't believe, Jesus, that you chose to change my life. And when we have that mindset, hospitality, right, it becomes what? It becomes who we are. It just seeps into who we are. And so we welcome the foreigner or the one that's different. That's why 20 years ago, when... Many of you know Jim Baker, who was a a, a Christian televangelist. He some sexual scandal uh, comes out about him, and then money stuff comes out about him, and ultimately he's sentenced to forty five years in prison. And one day he's in prison, and he had the job of cleaning toilets. So imagine, you were Christian televangelist, millions following you, the whole the whole kingdom falls. And you're in a prison, right? You're the foreigner of the foreigner to the, to the church. You're the hypocrite. You're the one that actually abused the church. And now you're in prison and you're cleaning toilets. Literally, Jim Baker, while he's cleaning toilets, he gets a, a tap on the shoulder. And it was from one of the guards and said, hey, you have a visitor. And who was it? It was Billy and Ruth Graham. Hey, and they, they spent uh, a whole day with Jim Baker in, um, in, in prison. And Ruth was interviewed afterward, and she goes, No, you know what I, what I believe? I believe Jim Baker is, uh, he's a friend of mine, right? The Christian looks for the foreigner. The Christian looks to entertain those, to, to be the philos to the xenos, do you notice people here after church? Do you notice people if they're not talking to someone? Do you notice people if they're seeming a little lonely after church? Do you look for that? Part of what being a body, part of being a church, being West Town, the West Town family. I'm not, I'm not talking about the West Town consumer. I'm talking about the West Town family is that when the Lord has changed us, look, you need. I want you to live your life a certain way. So... Deuteronomy 10 says this, when God was renewing his covenant with Israel. Israel, I'm going to put you in between Egypt and the Nile River, and I'm going to put you in between Mesopotamia, Tigris and Euphrates. You're going to be right here, right, in the Fertile Crescent. That's where you're going to establish your land. This is what I want you to live like. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. 
What if a Muslim lived next door to you? Would you have them over? What if someone who looked just that different, that kind of scared you a little bit, would you have them over? How can we have confidence? Verse 6 of 13 says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Who have you had at your dinner table? It's a simple thing. Who have you had over to have a meal with? I mean, what does it mean for you to prepare a meal for somebody? For you to be intentional about the food you prepare and you put that in front of them. And not only do you eat and dine together, you begin to, what, pursue them in conversation and say, hey, tell me about you. When someone comes into a church like this, moved in from, you know, who knows where, um, it has meant a lot to people who have just moved in. In fact, my church planning coach said when we first started, he goes, look for two kinds of people, those that you know you can care for and are hurting, and look for those that don't have friends or that have just moved into town. Because there's need there. And what my church planning coach was a pastor, um, this is what Christ does in us. It changes us. So I'm a, um, I'm a freshman at Wheaton College, uh, and it was, in, it was in the spring, and I, was, uh, I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go on Easter Sunday, and we just played a baseball tournament and I was playing third base, and the guy right next to me, Jake Chesney, um, he was playing shortstop. And uh, I don't know about you, but normally these, these kind of bigger holidays, we just never have anybody over that is not family. And um, he, he looks at me, he was a junior, kind of a stud. He's ripped. I was, I was feeling intimidated by him. Um, better arm than me, he's faster than me. I was having trouble hitting the curveball, you know. I was. It was terrible. Um, and uh, he says, he says uh, hey, man, do uh, you want to come over uh, to my house on um, Easter Sunday? I was like, what? No, it's, fa- it's family, man. Easter Sunday, you know. No, he goes, no, you don't have anywhere to go, do you? You're just going to be up in Traber 4 by yourself, right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, probably. Well, come. Come over. And I remember... Sitting, you know, I was the only one. I mean, he invited me over, so I was the only non-family member sitting there at that dinner table, and having his mom and his dad, like, be excited that I was there, and they were excited, and they started asking me a ton of questions to the point where I got a little self-conscious. I was talking too much, you know, Easter dinner table. Like, I need to shut up, man. This is he was. They kept asking, and they showed me. All kinds of love. And then what we did was we moved to the couch and we turned on some sports sporting event and we ate chocolate pie. It was awesome. You know, like large slices of chocolate pie. And then, they, and then, they, and then uh, Mr. Chesney said, you know what we do now? Uh, uh, we play a huge wiffle ball game. <laughs> I'm like, giddy up. So we're outside playing. You know what? I was an 18-year-old freshman at Wheaton up in Chicago feeling, um, thinking that Sunday was just going to be a kind of a boring day. I was going to feel a little bit lonely knowing my family was down here in Florida. And I did not feel one bit of loneliness on Easter Sunday in 1993. 
I mean, what a gift that was to me. And it was Jake just saying, look, this dude's going to be alone. I don't want him to be alone. I know we don't know him very well, and he should be able to hit a curveball better than that, but we're going to have him over. <laughs> right? And that's exactly what he did. And you know what? It, for that day, it changed my life. I was with a family that loved me. How many people have families that don't love them? And for your family to say, hey, you sit next to me. And my family is your family at this table. What if we were like that? What if our world, if our West Town world here in suburbia were to act like that? Because when God, um, when we take steps of faith and use hospitality, and when we use philos to the xenos, right? When we, we show that, God promises to work. He promises to work through our acts of hospitality. Do you believe that? Are you scared to have people over? Are you scared to have people over, spending time in your home, people that you don't know well? Because when you give people that honor, and they recognize that, yeah, maybe could be a little bit vulnerable. Man, that is transformative. So Paul in Ephesians says this to us. He says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You are no longer. Abraham, remember when you were nothing? You were just some guy down in the city of Ur, present-day Iraq, nondescript man. And God said, for we don't know what reason, you are going to be the father of many nations. You remember, Abraham, when you were the foreigner, and I said, I am now your daddy, and I'm going to form a household in you. You remember that, Abraham? Always remember that. Because if you remember that, this won't be such a foreign concept to you. Right? This will not be a foreign concept to you. When you don't have a lot of money, and you walk into, what, a rich person's home, and they don't even see money at all. When you are a different ethnicity than somebody else, and there are ethnic and cultural differences, and you walk into that setting, and they don't treat you like a foreigner at all. They treat you like they're, you're just one of the family. That changes things. And that was going on in the first century. But what if that went on in your dining rooms? And you just made food for people and just showered them with love. And you pursued them. You know what it speaks to? How God has pursued you. And he didn't have to do any of it. And he did. Because what do we know the scriptures say? You would have never chosen God. Your heart and my heart, what do we want? We want to rule our world. We do not want a God. We hate that we have a God. And that sin is, a, that is sin in us. And we want to lead a rebellion that speaks to what? No, we want to be autonomous. Self-rule. And when God comes in and he says, okay, you're not going to be a foreigner. I am going to love you. All right? I am going to love you. 
I'm going to change you. That changes the world. I love how Max Lucado described um, the first century church during this time of Pentecost. He writes this. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. Even a casual reading of the New Testament unveils the house as the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place of the church was the home. Consider the genius of God's plan. The first generation of Christians was a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles. Men worshipped with women. Slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. Can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? We wonder the same thing today. Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? Can Democrats find common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship with a Muslim couple down the street? Can divergent people get along? The early church did. Without the aid of sanctuaries, church buildings, clergy, or seminaries. They did so through the clearest of messages, the cross, and the simplest of tools, the home. Not everyone can serve in a foreign land, lead a relief effort, or volunteer at the downtown soup kitchen. But who can't be hospitable? Do you have a front door, a table, chairs, Bread and meat for sandwiches? Congratulations, you just qualified to serve the most ancient of ministries. Hospitality. Something holy happens around a dinner table that will never happen in a sanctuary. In a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Church services are on the clock. Around the table, there is time to speak. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It is no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone, you are sending this message, you matter to me and to God. You may think you are saying, come over for a visit, but what your guest hears is, I'm worth the effort. Is that not powerful? When's the last time someone invited you over? You felt that. They wanted you in their house. God has called you and said, you're mine. When you were the foreigner, he said, no, you're with me. Finishing out that passage from Hebrews speaks to Jesus and what he did for us. In verse 11, it says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. You see, when you think about our lives, where is your home? Do you have a home? What's the hardest thing about growing up in a small, in a, in a small town and staying in that town? When I go back to Mifflinville, um, where my dad grew up, I've gone back there a few times, 
And you know what I realize is hard for him? Is that things that he remembers, they change. And that's hard. But more than that, the people die. The people pass away. If you were to live in Tampa your whole life, and you were to see what? You were to see your friends, right? Slowly but surely, they all begin to what? They all begin to die. What does that tell us about earth right now? This isn't our home. You don't have a home, and I don't have a home. You know what we are? We are simply wanderers. We are sojourners. We do not have a home here. We look forward to the home, to the city that God will what? That, that the city that is to come. And here's what happened. God the Father loved you so much and loved me so much that he sent Jesus outside the gate. He said, you know what? I'm going to make my son homeless so that you can have a home. He should have the home. But I'm going to send him outside the city gate so that you and I can have a home. We are foreigners without any rights and privileges of citizenship. We don't have it at all. We, we, are, we, we haven't earned it. We should not be with God the Father. And he says, nope. I know. I, I, I know you shouldn't be. I know you look nothing like us. You have not. You sin all the time. You don't smell like us. You don't um, look like us. But you know what? Come here. Come here. Here's, you, you have the seed at the head of the table. You're part of the family. That much, that's how much I love you. When's the last person, when's the last time you had someone over to your dinner table? When's the last time you served somebody a meal because Christ served you a meal? when you didn't deserve it, because you're the foreigner to him. Do you have trouble with motivation inviting people over? This is it. We do not want to have insulated homes, because if God would have done that, we never have a shot. We welcome people into our homes. Please. Homes can be so powerful. We hadn't done it a whole lot before we planned it at church, but Lou and I learned a beautiful lesson of having people over and the power of just a meal together. Where you're goofy and you got all your eccentricities and you're, you're kind of a little bit wacky and you're more yourself more, rather than a formal setting here. And when people come over and they see you and they see you caring for them and loving them and listening to them, man, people feel connected and bonded to you. And that's what was happening. And, and the world changed. You know, our homes are so powerful. God wants to reside in your home. And he wants to make your dining room a tool for him. But you have to be willing to let the foreigner inside. You cannot deal in stereotypes and assumptions about people. Because if God would have done that about you, with you, there's no way you would ever be allowed at the table you, there's no way you would ever be allowed in his, in his home. But that's how much he loves you. Where are you this morning? What does your dinner table look like? If you're doing it, that's awesome. I, I believe you know the benefits of that. But it's not about just protecting and isolating. It's about giving away just because God gave away his love to us when we, didn't, we did not deserve it at all. Because God took us, the stranger, and gave us a home, we can reach out to others. What are your acts of hospitality? How can you be the philos to the xenos in your neighborhood? What if you 
have a radar when we walk out of here and you're looking for people who don't look like they're talking to anybody. And you say, hey, what if we go up to Sands or West Chase Pizza and have a, a pizza? I know it's a little awkward. We've never talked before, but let's just go to lunch. Huh, <laughs> weird. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that literally becomes a, the, 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 um, a stumbling block for us. Hey, I looked up in the church directory. I think I know who you are. Let's meet for coffee. Weird. Awesome. What if you opened your home for a small group and showed hospitality that way? What are ways that you can apply this? Please, let's make our dining rooms, our homes, places that are tools for the church to work, to grow. And let's make, yeah, let's put the Lord at the center of our, of our homes. Let's pray and ask God to be with us. God, it's hard to do this. You know the sin in my own heart. It's sin of just inconvenience. I don't want to feel awkward with someone I don't know very well. And all these are dumb reasons for, to get in the way of having people over. And that's, that's my junk, my sin. But God, when, I'm, when I rest in, I've been the foreigner and you had no reason to ask me over and you did, well, that changes everything. I know it's changed my life, God. Stir that inside of me. And then may I ask lots of people to our dinner table. May you convict homes that have never had a guest over be willing to ask. And it may be denied, but Father, I know you see those acts of faith. You see those invitations that go out. And getting through that process, I know you will change lives when we open our house, our homes to you. Pride, God. Arrogance. It all gets in the way. Kill it. Absolutely kill it. Lead us to the cross. Humble us. And God, um, change our homes. In your name, amen.